0: Daniel chapter 2 will be our text this morning. So if you have your Bible, please turn to Daniel chapter 2. Has any of you ever had any particularly disturbing or vivid dreams? Do you ever have any dreams where you wake up the next morning and you just can't get that dream out of your head because it was just particularly vivid or particularly weird for some reason? None of you have ever done that. Okay, oh, you've all done that. Okay, even better. All right, uh, I've had dreams before where I show up somewhere, uh, and let's just say I'm not appropriately dressed for the occasion. You ever had that dream? Anyone ever done that before? You've done that before? Um, or, you know, you'll have a dream where something's chasing you, right? Like the monster's about to get you, or the axe murderer's right behind you, or there's an elder that's chasing you somewhere, and you gotta, you, know, you wake up just in a panic because they were just right there. Okay, I've also had the thing where I've woken up before angry at Rachel for something she did in a dream, right? You ever get mad at your spouse for something they did in a dream? Okay, my dad tells a story of one time he woke up and my mom was yelling at him uh, for something he did in a dream, and then she immediately just goes back to sleep, and she's fine, right? And he's like, what did I do, right? Um, Okay, my favorite dream story, though, happened just shortly after Rachel and I were married, Um. And so it's about 2 a.m. in the morning. I am sound asleep when all of a sudden she jumps up, vaults over the foot of the bed, okay, and she's gripping the footboard of the bed, looking up in the corners because she is terrified of the huge spiders that are up there in those two corners. I have to get out of bed and coax her back into bed. Honey, there's no spiders there, I promise you. No, I see them. They are spiders right there. Finally, I get her back in bed, and she immediately pulls the covers up over her head, you know, because just in case, right? All right, in Daniel chapter 2, we have one of the most famous dreams in all of history. Nebuchadnezzar is king over the greatest empire on earth. He is king of the Babylonians. And he has a dream in the night, and when he wakes up the next morning, he knows this was not a normal dream. So he wants to know, what does this dream mean? And again, it's the most powerful man on earth, he should be able to get an answer to this question. So he calls in all his magicians and his sorcerers, his astrologers, all the wise men, and he says to them, he says, I want you to tell me what it means about what I dreamed last night. And they say, okay, king, that sounds great. You tell us the dream. And then we'll tell you what it means. And he says, I thought you were supposed to be wise men and magicians. I think you should tell me what I dreamed and interpret it for me. And they say, well, king, that's not how it works. Okay? The way this works is you tell us the dream and then we'll tell you the interpretation. At which point King Nebuchadnezzar gets mad. He says, no, you claim to be wise men If you can't tell me what I dreamed and interpret it for me, then I will just start over with wise men. I will kill all of you. Literally, the text says, I will cut you into small pieces and take your houses and reduce them all to rubble. They know this is not an idle threat. We have evidence from other kings in the ancient world who when they got mad at their court advisors, they would have them all killed and start over for Nebuchadnezzar having all of these men killed is something he can do just with a spoken word. So they panic. All right, notice verse 10 of our text, because this is where we get the first piece of theology in this, and I think this is fascinating. It says, the astrologers answered the king, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks no king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except, okay, and notice this because this is great, right? No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. Right, think about this theologically for just a second, right? The wise men claim the only possible way that this could be done is if a divine power were to come to this earth and make it happen. Okay, that's foreshadowing, right? Okay, the king becomes enraged. He immediately orders the death of all of his wise men. And so the commander of the king's guard goes out to gather up the wise men in order to execute all of them. When he gets to Daniel and his friends... Daniel asks for a chance to interpret the dream. So teenager Daniel and his three teenager friends spend a night in prayer asking God to enable them to interpret this dream. I have spent some nights in prayer before and prayed pretty hard. Uh, I imagine these four teenagers prayed with everything in them. Right? They knew if God does not answer this prayer, they will be executed the next day. Okay, but God does answer answer Daniel's prayer. Daniel goes and tells the king, here's what you dreamed. In this dream, there was a mighty statue. It had a head of gold, chest and arms of silver, a torso of bronze, legs of iron, and feet of iron mixed with clay. And then a large stone, and specifically this stone was not cut by human hands. It was a divine stone. Rolls down, crushes the statue, The stone itself becomes a mountain and fills the entire earth. And king, here is what your dream means. The statue is a series of kingdoms. The head of gold is the first kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar, that is your Babylon. But after that, it will fall to another kingdom, which falls to another kingdom, which falls to another kingdom. Finally, in the days of the feet of iron and clay, in the days of that kingdom, and then notice starting in verse 44, Here's the heart of this entire chapter. Daniel says, In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it itself will endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. All right, we will return in a few moments to what all of these different kingdoms mean. But to finish our story, this immediately makes Daniel a superstar in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar does what no king would do. He reverses roles and he bows down before Daniel. And he says, obviously, your God, the God of Israel, has given this to you. He promotes Daniel to a a high position. He promotes his three friends to high administrative posts. And he makes Daniel an extremely wealthy man. Immediately, Daniel becomes one of the most powerful men on the face of the planet. The end. Okay. Now, uh, if you're taking notes, here's the first thing I, I think we should get from this is we think, okay, what does this matter to my life? What difference does this make to me? Okay, the first thing is we need to always remember that the wisdom of God always trumps the experts of our age. Okay, and don't we like it when God takes someone who is high and mighty and thinks that everything is all about them and brings them low? I'm thinking about a preaching class I was in when I was an undergrad major at Oklahoma Christian. And I'm in this preaching class. There's six or seven of us who want to be preachers. And there's one kid in the class who thinks he knows everything. Okay? He is convinced that he is God's gift to preaching. Um, doesn't it really bother you when you run into someone who thinks they know everything? Right? Especially those of us who do know everything. It really bothers us when we run into someone who thinks they know everything. Okay, But this guy thinks he is God's gift to preaching. And when we all do our first sermons... Um, the, the professor in the class could tell that this guy is completely full of himself, has nothing but pride, and so the professor just destroys him, okay? brought him low, and all the rest of us in the class are just cheering, right? Why? Because we delight in the especially arrogant, those that know everything, the great pinnacle being brought low. And one of the things we like about this story in Daniel chapter 2 is that it's yet another example of the person who thinks that they're in charge of the world being brought to their knees. The story ends with Nebuchadnezzar having to bow before a representative of God Almighty. And we cheer as people of God reading this story because we recognize that there is a king of the world, but it's not Nebuchadnezzar, right? Right? He may sit on the throne, he may surround himself with all the wise men from all over the world, but all of the kingdoms, all of the wise men of the ages will always be far below the actual King God Almighty. Nebuchadnezzar had access to more advanced information than anyone on earth. He had more wise men from more places. If anybody should have had an advantage in wisdom, it was him, and yet God shows him there is a king, and it's not him. This story should make us cheer a little bit. Okay? You should be cheering at this point. See, that's the... There you go, thank you. And our God delights... In showing how foolish is the wise person who is wise in their own eyes. I hope you heard the scripture reading that Matt read earlier in our service. right? God shames the wisdom of this world. God loves showing that He is the source of wisdom. And that we get so caught up in the conventional wisdom of the day. And what all the wise men think. And how everybody believes. And yet none of that will lead you to the truth that ultimately matters. God regularly reminds people that we aren't as smart as we think we are. Alright, just think for a minute of some of the conventional wisdom that has gone through our world. Okay, some of the things that everybody knew, this is true, this is how everybody believes. All the wise people, all the smart people think this way. And then a few years later, we all know that was completely wrong, right? For instance, everybody knew that the earth is flat. Right? Everybody knows that. You can look and you can see that the earth is flat. Everybody knows that's true. Until we didn't. Okay? Everybody knows that the sun revolves around the earth. I mean, come on, you can stand in your front yard and look up and watch the sun go over your head. You know that the sun is moving while we're sitting still. Everybody knows that. Okay? Everybody knows that the king is the divinely appointed ruler and that if we didn't have a king, we would all be lost. Everybody knows that some races are superior to others. And you can go find old medical textbooks with charts and eugenics studies and lab studies and lots of scientists who everybody knew some races are just more advanced than others. Everybody knows that, right? Everybody knows that bloodletting is the most effective treatment for many of your ills. If you're not feeling good, you probably need to go bleed for a while, so that you can get all that bad blood out so you can feel better, right? Everybody knows that. Okay, Everybody knows that the reason that your crops died is that you offended the wrong God. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that witches can't drown. Okay, so if we think you're a witch, we should try to drown you, and if we succeed, then you were innocent, right? Okay, up until very recently, everybody knew that you would die if you traveled faster than the speed of sound. It's everybody knows that, okay? Doctors recommend that you should smoke if you have a sore throat, okay? Because it'll soothe your throat. Everybody knows that's true, okay? All of the experts and all of the conventional wisdom isn't always right, right? And I'm not telling you that to make you question everything, okay? I'm certainly not anti-science. I think scientists are right the vast majority of the time. I tell you that for two reasons that I think matter greatly to us as we try to navigate our modern world, which is full of very smart people who will tell you they're very smart things. Okay, Two things. The first one is this, is we all need to have a little bit of humility about what we think we know. Okay, We all need to have a little bit of humility. Okay? The story goes that my great-grandfather, uh, when he first got a car, when cars were first becoming a thing that normal people owned, Uh, When he got his car home every night, he would take the tires off of it uh, to make them last longer, right? Because everybody knew that they would last longer that way, right? Okay, I tell you that story because there is undoubtedly stuff that you and I believe right now that future generations will look back at us and laugh at how could anybody ever believe that way? Okay, I laugh at my great-grandfather for some of the stuff that he believed. What will my great-grandkids look at me and laugh about that I am absolutely convinced of right now? All right? We all need to have a little bit of humility about all the stuff that we think we know. Fair enough? Okay. Secondly, and much more importantly, is that we need to realize that the source of real wisdom is God. Okay? The starting point matters your foundation, whatever you start as this is the first step in the quest for knowledge on whatever subject it is, if you start with the wrong place, you will always get to the wrong place. If you start with the right place, you have a whole lot better shot of making it to true wisdom. And what I think Scripture is arguing over and over again is you start with an understanding of who God is, and then the rest of life starts to fall into place. You start with the understanding that God is God. He created everything. Everything we see comes from Him. And if we start there, then we can start to approach true wisdom. Okay, if you start with the idea that you are here randomly, then you will treat people differently than if you start with the idea that you are a loved creation of God. Okay, if you start with the idea that pleasure is the ultimate goal, then you'll live differently than if you think righteousness is the ultimate goal. If you start with the idea that all wisdom comes from God, it will take you to a different place than if you think that wisdom comes from what all of the smart people of our age think. Does that make sense? I am all in favor of any field of study. You want to study economics or history or any kind of science or medicine, whatever you want to do, that is great. But all of those things have to start with an understanding that God is God, He created everything. And we have to fit into that plan, okay? All right, the wisdom of God will always trump the experts of our age. Number two, an eternal kingdom is here. Okay, now we get into the statue itself um, and the the true heart of this text, right? What is this statue that Daniel can interpret? What is this vision that King Nebuchadnezzar had? All right, and there are three basic ways that people interpret the different layers of the statue in Daniel chapter 2. Okay, there's three basic camps that interpreters fall into when trying to figure out what are these kingdoms that Daniel could see. Okay, Daniel tells us that the top layer, that head of gold, represents Babylon. Okay, everybody pretty much agrees with that. Okay, it's when we start getting into the rest of the layers that we go different directions. right, here's your three basic interpretations. Number one, lots of scholars say we know that Daniel can't possibly predict the future, and so the kingdoms have to be Babylon, Medea, Persia, and Greece. And in order to get this, then we have to know that Daniel must have been written several centuries after the life of the historical Daniel, and the historical Daniel probably never existed. Okay, therefore the rock that came in is probably the expected Jewish kingdom that never really happened. Okay? Now, remember from the last point your starting point matters. Okay, if you go into this text with the idea that Daniel can't possibly see anything into the future, then you have to interpret it in ways that keep that out, right? And many scholars when they interpret the Bible will take out anything miraculous. If you start with the understanding that miraculous things can't happen, it changes how you interpret all of the Bible. Okay? Now, for what I hope are obvious reasons, I don't really care very much for interpretation number one. All right? I think Daniel actually did exist. I think the book of Daniel actually was written back in the 6th century. And so I prefer a different interpretation. All right, here's number two. Many other interpreters see it like this. They think the layers are Babylon. The silver is the Medea-Persian Empire. The next is the Greek Empire. Then there's the Roman Empire. And then when you get into the feet that are mixed iron and clay, um, that's all the kingdoms of today. Okay? Uh, America is one of the toes. Russia is one of the toes. China is one of the toes. Um, you can even find interpreters who will tell you which of each of the ten toes represent modern kingdoms in our world right now. Okay? Which at least America gets to be a big toe, right? I mean, we didn't want to be a little toe, I guess. And so the rock that we are waiting on is we're waiting for when Jesus comes back to this earth to establish a kingdom that will overthrow all of the kingdoms of today. Now, when you start reading this and start reading the book of Revelation, you get a whole lot more detail, like the thousand-year reign and the Antichrist and everything that you can read about if you've ever read the Left Behind series or had the unfortunate circumstance of watching the movie. It's a terrible movie. Okay? Nicolas Cage has done some good things. That wasn't on the list. All right? It's just not it. Okay. And this all feeds into a very prominent theological belief today called premillennialism. Okay? In other words, you've got all these ancient kingdoms. And then Daniel saw that the heirs of the Roman Empire would turn into all of the kingdoms of today. And so that last set of the statue represents thousands of years since the fall of Rome. And we're all living in that layer of kingdom that's the feet mixed iron and clay. Okay? Now, my problem with this view is, first off, I'm not a premillennialist, which is a whole nother discussion. But more importantly, I think it completely misunderstands the nature of the kingdom of God. And I think more than anything else, this passage is teaching us about the coming kingdom of God in a way that we need to understand that we are a part of today. Okay, that kingdom that we're waiting for is not something that's going to come at some point in the future. That's something that you and I get to enjoy and be part of right now. Okay, the other weird thing about this view, number two, is that you have to see Rome as still existing in some sense today. Okay, I listened to another preacher earlier this week who was arguing for this second interpretation, and she argued at length about how all of the major world empires of today are in some sense still Roman. Okay, you have to go to some weird places to make this view work. I think there's a much simpler explanation that makes a whole lot more difference to how you and I live today. Okay, here's what I think. Number three, I think Babylon is the head of gold. I think the Medea Persian Empire is the silver chest and arms. I think Daniel himself will see the Persians conquer the Babylonians and that he will die while the Persians are in control of this world. We know that Persia will ultimately fall when Alexander the Great conquers the world. But I think the Greeks are that bronze lair. The Greeks get supplanted by Rome, and I think the iron is very clearly Rome. I think the description in Daniel of a kingdom of incredible strength that breaks everything in its path and is stronger than all the other kingdoms fits Rome to a T. And I think that as people mixed with other people in the Roman Empire, they watched that empire become more and more brittle, And during the days when the Roman Empire starts its decline, a new kingdom will be born which will never end and which fills the entire earth. You know, in the few years leading up to and immediately following Jesus, several men proclaimed themselves to be the Messiah, the ones who would bring about the new kingdom. Why? Why was there such an expectation that the kingdom would come any day now? Why, shortly after the Greeks, did the Jews keep declaring their independence? Why would they do that? Because they knew that during that kingdom of iron, God was going to end the exile. People living in Jesus' day knew that the new kingdom was coming any day now because they believed that the prophet Daniel saw what he saw back in the 6th century. There was a great expectation that the kingdom would happen any day now when Jesus declared that he was king. The very first gospel that we have written was the gospel of Mark. And in the book of Mark, the very first words of Jesus are this, Says after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news or the gospel of God. Okay, and what's his good news? He says, The time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Okay, what was the message of Jesus over and over and over again? It's the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom of God is like. Here's what life will be like in the kingdom. You want to understand the kingdom? Here's a parable explaining it to you. Jesus preaches a message of kingdom. If you remember our series on Romans, I think a lot of what Paul is teaching in that book is that the exile is finally over because now we have King Jesus sitting on a throne and the followers who are part of that kingdom will never end. The reason I think Daniel chapter 2 matters to us today is because I think you and I can have confidence that we are part of a kingdom on this earth right now. It is not a kingdom of this world. It is a heavenly kingdom. We don't have to wait for it. We can follow King Jesus now and know that that kingdom will last forever. All right, two quick applications and I'll be done. The first one is this. I think if we believe that, then we have access to God's presence today one of the hardest parts of the exile was that people struggled to connect to god the temple was destroyed the priesthood couldn't perform the sacrifices how can our sins be forgiven how can we worship how can god be with us if his temple has been destroyed Those questions tend to be massively problematic until Jesus comes here and teaches us that the way to God is through the love of Jesus. We have God's presence living in us. The exile is over. I think a huge reason that the book of Daniel was written is to tell the people that there is coming a day when God will be with you. Part of what it means for us to live as Christians is we believe that God is with us. All right, number two, if this is true, then we are part of the only institution that matters. And we could easily spend a lot of time on this, but I will just say that the kingdom of God is the kingdom that fills the entire world. The followers of Jesus, the church, is that kingdom today. If your primary commitment in life isn't to God's church, then you need to reprioritize your life. An eternal kingdom is here. We can be a part of it because of the love of Jesus Christ, because of His grace and mercy. The only question we have to answer is, are we part of it? Is our life dedicated to that kingdom like Jesus' life was? All right, at this time in our service, we're going to sing a few verses of an invitation song. Uh, During the singing of that song, I will be down front, one of our shepherds will be down front, uh, and we would love an opportunity to talk with you or pray with you about anything that's going on in your life. Uh, As we get deeper into this book of Daniel, we'll talk more and more about what does it mean that this kingdom is here? What does it mean that this kingdom is coming? Because ultimately, that's the only question that matters, right? Are we truly part of God's kingdom? Uh, Before we sing that invitation song, though, I'd like to speak a word of blessing over us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace.